Good evening, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Mary Trump Show Strategy Session, where every week uh, my panel and I try to figure out ways to help voters understand what's at stake, um, particularly in the 2022 midterms. Um, and our pets join us in that endeavor. Uh, there, are, <laughs> there are 168 days until the midterms, and uh, tonight I'm really honored I, I couldn't have asked for a better panel, um, particularly in light of recent events. Um, so I'm honored to have joining me Dahlia Lithwick, senior editor at Slate, contributing editor at Newsweek, and host of the excellent Not To Be Missed podcast, Amicus, Bobby Kaplan, founder of Kaplan, Hecker & Fink, renowned attorney known for successfully winning her fight against the Defense of Marriage Act in front of the Supreme Court in the United States versus Windsor, and many other incredibly relevant ongoing cases, some of which uh, hopefully we'll get to talk about tonight. And Jen Tubb, uh, expert on white-collar crime, professor of law at Western New England University School of Law, and author of The Indispensable Big Dirty Money. Thank you all for being here. Um, and, you know, we need to start... Um, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to quote Senator Chris Murphy, who's a Democrat, and after Sandy Hook became one of the most vocal advocates for gun, legis gun control legislation in the Senate, he said, I think everybody here is going to be shaken to the core by this, to which I say, no, everybody will not be shaken to the core by this, and this is the problem. Ten people were murdered in Buffalo uh, New York last week and today sorry <clears throat> 14 I believe children between the ages of uh, 7 and 10 um, and at least a, one teacher were also murdered um, in Texas, where uh, the criminal attorney general, Ken Paxton, responded by saying that the solution to this epidemic is to arm our teachers, uh, to which I say, when is this fucking scumbag going to be in prison? Um, and we need to look at this in light of the fact that the Supreme Court, the radical um, Supreme Court of the United States has been hearing a case called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which is challenging a New York State law that's been in place for a long time that requires residents to show good cause uh, in order to get a permit for concealed carry. And the radical wing, radical majority of the Supreme Court apparently wants all New Yorkers to be allowed to conceal carry weapons because it who cares that New York City is one of the most densely populated places on the planet? So, all of that being said, uh, Dahlia, how... And I, you know, I know all of you are experts in your field, and, and it's that expertise I so value. But tonight, I think we also need to approach this as human beings and parents um, who are feeling increasingly... Uh, cornered, I think. Um, so, so Dahlia, in terms of 
gun control legislation, why does it always feel like, um, and it's not just gun control legislation, but that's what we're talking about right now. Why does it always feel that the majority who are in favor of sanity and human life um, never win? So first of all, Mary, thank you. Thank you for all the work you do. And uh, thank you to these amazing uh, co-conspirators who are also uh, dear friends. And I feel like you do. I feel like I'm just like wearing a hat of pain right now. And I'm thinking about having teenage sons. I know you all are thinking about, um, you know, what it is to like send your kids off to school and not be super sure what's going to happen and how that informs everything and how insane that is. You know, to your question, I guess, Mary, I would just say this, you know, the conversation we were a little bit more going to have, which wasn't going to be about guns, but abortion was what do you do when like massive majorities of people don't want a thing. And we live in a moment where the Supreme court makes you have the thing right. And that we are living in a moment of massive, unprecedented, certainly (laughs) since the founding minority rule and that you have, uh, you know, we can talk about the fact that five of the six Republicans on the current U.S. Supreme Court lost the popular, uh, were were appointed by presidents who lost the popular election, uh, you know, but for uh, the Electoral College, they would not have been president. They were then... uh, empowered to seat people uh the the senate ratified the senate that if you live in california and new york you have two senators and you also do in north dakota right so we have a malapportioned senate an electoral college we have minority rule entrenching minority rule and then they see justices on the u.s supreme court who then through gerrymandering through vote suppression through any number of mechanisms cut off the vote. And so I think the, the best shortest answer to your question is what do you do when from the founding you had a system in which white rural men at the time slave owners had all the power to put their thumb on the scale and that we still live under that. We still live under that, whether it's the electoral college or whether it's the Senate or whether it's the Supreme Court. And so you have, you know, 70% of the country doesn't want Roe overturned. 70% of the country, more than 70%, does not want uh, constricted gun control. And yet we're about to get it. And so I think the structural boring answer to your like heartfelt, capacious question is we simply continue to live in a world in which minority rule entrenches itself through the courts, through the Senate, through the filibuster, through every single one of the boring, wonky things we don't want to talk about. And that means that massive numbers of Americans want change, and it doesn't matter. That's an unsatisfying structural answer to your very hard question. Well, it's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, there's, and people do need to understand that um, for a lot of reasons, but the main reason that concerns us right now, they need to understand it because they've got to stop blaming the current administration 
for things that are, I mean, let's leave aside gas prices and inflation because, you know, there's only so much that one human being can take. There's only so much that Joe Biden can do or, you know, the executive branch or the, I, I don't know, even the divided Senate. I don't know if you want, I don't even know if we can call that, can do. So people need to know that the um, solution to that problem is to keep voting, even though, I, I don't know, uh, it doesn't always seem to do any good. But Robbie, one of, I think one of the things one of the trends that has made uh, the situations we're dealing with so much worse is that, um, you know, it's not just that the right is always seeming to get its way. You know, I've often said when the Democrats are in the majority, it feels like they're in the minority. And when the Republicans are in the minority, it feels like they're in the majority and vice versa. Um, it's, it's that they... I, one of their main priorities seems to be, quote unquote, owning the libs. Now, a few years ago, Adam Surer wrote The Cruelty is the Point, and that's sort of become a truism. So, you know, we look at the fact that they could have nominated some right wing conservative justice to be in the Supreme Court who wasn't egregiously awful, but they had to give us Kavanaugh. They could have given us, you know, like a Sandra Day O'Connor, although she'd probably be like a liberal Democrat today in, in the context of this uh, Republican Party. They had to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg with the horrific Amy Coney Barrett. Um, and just this, the, a recent uh, Supreme Court decision, I don't remember the name of it, but that's what you guys are here for. Um, if you're a, a somebody on death row who has exculpatory evidence too fucking bad we're going to kill you anyway because six of our nine justices cannot be bothered with setting innocent people free so Robbie that like kind of makes everything worse in some ways so uh, as we said before we started today Dolly and I were actually talking this morning about these issues and, and I've really been thinking a lot I mean, I think Adam Servo was right that the cruelty is the point and that we live, I think, and this is going to sound really dumb, and I'm sorry for that, but we live in a world today of outrage and repeated outrage, you know, incident after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, which was, by the way, is a distinct strategy for fascism. One of the, one of the primary foundational ideas of fascism is this constant shock and outrage. And, and it, I'm not saying we're in a fascist country yet, but it, it feels like we're living in a world where whether it's Texas just today, it's Buffalo only several days ago, it's what's happening in the, I just wrote a list, what's happening in the Ukraine and the incredible cruelty and ignorance and loss of life that is happening there. It's the uh, the draft opinion in Dobbs. Um, it's what's happening with voting everywhere. Even in, in New York, it's the voting situation is crazy right now because of the redistricting. And, and you know, I just have to say this because <laughs> she's a friend and it's, it's really been getting to me. The way that Amber Heard is being treated daily, televised to millions of people, it was either Michelle Goldberg or Jessica Bennett who said that there's no decency anymore. 
it's true for Amber's trial, but it's true for our society. Yeah. That, that's, you know, even with, with the Supreme Court majority, the conservative majority in the past, there was a sense of decency. There was a line. Uh, I'm curious to hear what Dolly and Jen, and Jen think about this, but there's a line that they wouldn't cross. They, they, there was a desire to, to at least embrace or be limited by kind of accepted views and beliefs that we have in our culture. And I'm not sure that that, that that exists anymore. And I'm not even sure if we have those accepted mainstream beliefs anymore. Well, we know for a fact, not that we can prove it in a court of law because these people are wily and know how to lie and get away with it. At least three people and probably four because uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, you know, pretty sure he committed perjury as well. Four out of uh, nine Supreme Court justices are on the court because they lied, at least in the three most recent uh, cases, about stare decisis. They clearly did not have a sudden epiphany uh, that Roe was poorly decided in the last you know, one to three years, right? So, um, Jen, picking up where Robbie left off, um, part of the problem, too, is the the utter contempt shown, not just while they were in their nomination, sorry, confirmation hearings, but now they don't even bother in most cases, to be honest and open about why they've decided. They, you know, they're not showing their work. They're using these shadow dockets. Or, on the other hand, they're doing what Samuel Alito did and and hand down what I refer to as a medieval torture device of an opinion. Uh, so it's also just the open contempt for people who disagree with them and how do we and the, the sheer partisanship, which they show outside of the court as well? How do we? Because this has always been a problem on the left. How do we help people understand just how relevant? I mean, do we have to keep losing rights? You know, whether it's voting rights or rights to be a fully realized human being, before people on the left are going to pay attention. Um, <clears throat> so, Mary, I, I heard that you said for me to pick up where Robbie is. Um, and I'm going to do that. But where I'm right now is just a cauldron of rage and sadness and fear. Yep. But there is a connection to the Supreme Court there, which is this. And can you, I don't know if I'm talking too quietly, but um, not at all. The hypocrisy. Let me just say uh, there are places where you can't have guns. That includes the United States Supreme Court. That and includes, NRA conventions, yes. That includes NRA conventions. That includes the floor of Congress. That includes private schools, private clubs that these people belong to, and so on. You know, it's good for we, not for thee. They are above the laws that us mere mortals must follow. Let me also, though, tie back to something because... Kind of the miracle of things is, uh, before we saw what happened today in Texas, I had an optimistic thing to say, building on the negativity uh, that we all feel about the anti-majoritarian institutions. And, you know, and so we know the U.S. Supreme Court, the way the nom- we know that for not only were they dishonest under oath, but we also know that a certain, you know, a certain president appointed 
many of them, but they're, they're appointed based on the presidency, which itself is an anti-majoritarian position because we have electoral college. We also know the Senate that does the confirmations and how that's distributed. We have all these institutions and the federal government is largely captured at this point. So I was being very hopeful saying, okay, Alito says we should take it to the states. We really do need to take it to the states. And I was going to talk about an article I just read in The Nation about the importance of abortion rights groups in the states. But here's here's the hypocrisy. This is why I can't even speak. It sounds like I'm speaking, but I'm actually just screaming and, you know, just, maybe words are coming out. But here's the deal. We can't take it to the states when it comes to the Second Amendment. Why the fuck not? I see Apparently, I'm not qualified enough to be able to read those words, but they do talk about a well-regulated militia. Send that back to the states to decide what they consider to be their internal well-regulated militias. Now, one last thing. I mean, there'll be more things, which is this. Uh, Although I've gone to law school and I teach law, I never really learned to think like a lawyer, right? I can write like a lawyer. I can speak like a lawyer, but I think like a human and... There's nothing in any society throughout history but dishonor, shame, and complete sadness when you see children being killed. And as much as I thought we were all just numb to death after one million people died from COVID, many of whom could have we could have saved here and worldwide if we had had the proper response here in the United States from the beginning. I thought we were numb to that, but apparently... Many of us are not, and uh, I hope that these people on this podcast who are smarter than me can figure out how we can actually, no, they can't, save children. That's what I have to say. Well, it is, uh, that is the conundrum, yes. I mean, on the one hand, we are dealing with a vast majority, hopefully a minority, but a significant minority of people in this country who don't fucking care. Um, I, I had a conversation, it seems like it was 500 years ago, but I think it was in the fall of 2020 with my friend Ruth Bengiat. And I was, I was talking about, I was mentioning to her that one of the things that just blew my mind was the fact that, you know, people who were saying it was a hoax or were saying that the vaccine weren't, weren't going to get vaccinated and weren't going to wear masks because my body, my choice, right? Um, that they didn't seem to care that they were putting the lives of people they love at risk, including themselves. Um, and she made what turns out to be a quite prescient point that um, the devaluation of human life is something that's happened over time and that has been fueled in large part by the gun lobby and the, the preference of guns over lives, including lives of children. And Dahlia, I think between that, um, you know, how do you fight somebody who's perfectly willing to, you know, die for no reason? There's a, uh, and then the other hand, as you all have been laying out, we live in a very um, unfair, literally unfair uh, system. So, you know, when you lay it out like that, it seems really demoralizing. And that's the opposite of of what, you know, we want to be doing here. So how do we counter that if we can? Oh, sorry, you're muted. Yeah, I am. Right. Uh, I love the question, Mary, because I think it goes to 
you know, all of us, all of us on this um, podcast right now are on this theme of how do you tell people what's going on and also not kind of annihilate them and make them feel powerless, right? And it's always this question I have because we can have a long conversation about vote suppression and efforts to restrict the vote and what's happening I know Robbie wants to talk about gerrymandering and all the ways in which you're going to find it harder to vote in 22 and 2024 and much harder to have your vote counted in 22 and 24. And how do you talk about that and also not kind of crush and demoralize people? And, And I think we are on this theme of how do we, and I know this is sort of underpinning your question, how do we talk about what's going on and also inspire and uh, inflame and not lose hope? And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I, I keep coming back to is uh, if you were black or brown in America, you actually never had a right to abortion because right after Roe v. Wade, you know, Hyde Amendment, whatever it was, if you lived in Texas or Mississippi, you actually had a paper right to abortion, never really had a right. And now we're all getting to live in that. By the same token, and I'm thinking here of Carol Anderson, uh, the historian who, you know, said on my podcast in, in right before the 2020 election, Welcome to America, white people. Vote like you're black. Because if you are a person of color in America, you actually never. You had a right to vote that was on paper, and you stood in the line for a really long time. And if you were very lucky, you had water and something to power your phone and comfortable shoes. And so I think part of the answer is, and this seems long-winded, but I, I hope I'm sort of sticking the landing here, that we all now get to see what it was like to be not privileged, not lucky, not born in the right time and place. Because if you were not privileged and not lucky and not born in the right time and place, you always voted like this. This was always your healthcare system. This was always your educational system. This was redlining. This is your neighborhood. And so I think the thing that gives me immense strength and courage and power is this moral imagination, I know you think about this more than anyone, Mary, but like, good. Now we all know, we all know that this is what it's like. And that if you happen to be lucky enough to have a polling place where you could drive up in your car and vote and leave and nobody asked for your ID and nobody uh, challenged you and nobody screamed at you and nobody said you can't distribute water, like you were super lucky. And so I think part of the challenge right at this moment is to say, whatever the context is, many, 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 many millions of people have lived like this forever. And the hard thing is, okay, now it's leveled down. We all see it. But the good thing is we can all name it and we can respond to it. And it is much, much better than saying this isn't happening. And so I think... This is a very roundabout way of saying that the gaslighting has been our enemy. The like claims that, oh, you know, this isn't happening to you, so it's not happening. I think that's over in about a thousand contexts. 
And while that is brutally painful for all the reasons Jen just described, I think it's better to just be direct and true and and then you can organize. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And it, it there's so much there. Um, while you were talking, I was thinking about something Eric Foner wrote uh, in his short history of Reconstruction. Um, and I'm sort of obsessed with Reconstruction because it was... So much was accomplished, and yet it's one of the greatest failures in human history. And he basically, I'm paraphrasing, he basically said, imagine how the political landscape would have changed if uh, Northerners had um, protected the rights of newly freed, formerly enslaved people instead of the rights of the traders who uh, were responsible for the deaths of over 700,000 Americans. Um, and... Um, you know, think about it. Mississippi had two black senators during Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more recently, because I don't, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but I, I, I'm increasingly struck by that because um, in order to com- combat that potential, what white Southerners ended up doing was turning the South into a closed fascist state for several decades. And then we get the Voting Rights Act uh, in um, 65, 64. Sorry, I don't remember. One of those. It was like around when I was born, which is also terrifying and sad. Um, but Robbie, as, as Dolly says, it's always so temporary because then we get a, a John Roberts Supreme Court and his number one goal in life seems to be to uh, annihilate the Voting Rights Act. And from uh, Shelby V. Holder on down... It's just gotten worse and worse. And as you know, as Dahlia alluded to now, like you can't give people water who are, I mean, you could probably give water to white people (laughs) if they have to wait in line for more than five minutes, Um, which basically I've only had to do once in my life. Uh, You know, you've got a bunch of black Americans waiting online for nine hours and you can't give them water. You can't give them food. You can't do anything for them because, you know, these people are so endlessly creative about how they want to fuck over people of color in America. Um, So, yes, white America, white women in particular, who a a majority of whom voted for Donald twice. um, Welcome to a world in which you don't have the rights of a full citizen but Robbie like how many rights do we give up before we do anything about it and how hard is it to get rights back once you've lost them Uh, I don't have happy answers to either of those questions Um, as to how far it has to go I don't know I mean look I'm part of me is a hopeless optimist and and part of me thinks okay this is the final lie when when something like the Dobbs draft is issued and women throughout the country are told that they're second-class citizens and that poor woman, I don't know you read about in Indiana, who acknowledged to her, t- her church that she'd been raped as a 16-year-old by the pastor, gets pregnant and needs to do something about it and has to hide the pregnancy and then needs an abortion. Maybe that's the lie. Maybe people will finally realize um, that we need to do something about this country and its fundamentally anti-democratic structure right now. Um, but I don't know. I, you know, I, I, well, I think there should be a lot of really pissed off women, um, but there have been a lot of really pissed off women for a long time. And as to the question of when, how to get the right back, 
I mean, there's legislation, obviously, that can happen. There's federal and state legislation that can happen. But how we get it back in terms of the Constitution is a very, very hard question because this court is going to be this court, you know, subject to some kind of a radical reform in, in terms of the number of justices or something. This is going to be the court for the rest of our lifetimes. Well, and Ron, they take something away, I don't think they're getting it back again anytime soon. I, I want to stick with you for a second, Robbie, because I know I, I kind of set you up with a, a very grim question, and I'm, I apologize, but I live in grimness, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah, um, but <laughs> it sort of feels like now is the time for radical reform. But I, I kind of feel, and again, I, I most people probably don't believe me, but I am an optimist, unfailing optimist. Uh, maybe not anymore, but I used to be. Um, until about four years ago. Um, so I don't think it's over by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think if we lose in 2022, either the House or Senate or both, it will be over because th there will no longer be a free and fair election in America. So part of it is, again, like how do you mo help people understand that without demoralizing them and enervating them? But how do you explain the inaction of the party and the seeming inaction? Because, you know, people don't understand it the way everything works necessarily. And I have to be completely honest. I'm not really sure why certain things haven't been on either. So how, how do we, how do we uh, square that? Well, well, that's why 2022 is so scary because in reality today, we're not really, assuming we're all Democrats in this call, we're not really, the majority party in Congress. Um, we, we really don't have the majority in the Senate. Right. We have two Democrats who aren't voting with Democrats and aren't willing to pass the kind of legislation that the overwhelming majority of Democrats want them to pass. And they're not willing to vote against the uh, filibuster in any respect for voting rights or for any other reason. Gun control, I think Manchin just said today he wouldn't do it. So we're not, we don't have a majority. We're not really in control of all three branches. We're only in control of the White House. Um, and if we lose more votes in 2022, it's only going to get hellishly worse. I mean, forget not passing anything. I think what we'll see for the next two years are just insane amounts of congressional investigations into insane topics like why are COVID vaccines really bad for you? Um, why, you know, abortion is kills women more than women dying in, in pregnancy and childbirth, which we know isn't true. Uh, lots and lots about Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, that's what they're going to be doing. And the idea of getting anything constructive done, as bad as it is now, it'll be much, much worse. And it's true. They will try to do greater damage uh, to voting rights and the status of voting rights than, than already exists. So people need to, like, I, mean, I guess the only answer is, if you got to wait, you know, for hours in the sun, unfortunately, you know, bring a sun hat, put on your suntan lotion, bring your own water <laughs> and, and stick it out because I don't, I don't have an, unfortunately, I don't have an alternative where I, where I used to think the courts were an option. The goal of most lawyers today in my position is to avoid the Supreme Court. You never want to get to the Supreme Court anymore because you know it's going to get worse. Right. And. You know, I'm will I'm willing personally to go to jail. I plan to set up a taco truck on every corner, uh, in districts where, you know, black people are forced to uh, 
boat under horrific conditions. Um, and I'm sure plenty of other people are willing to get arrested for that too. If only to underscore the absurdity of uh, these grotesque racist laws. But Jen, one of the things I've been grappling with is that, you know, shockingly enough, Biden has, Biden and the Democratic Senate have accomplished quite a lot. And I've said this bef- many times before. What's infuriating is that, especially in the media, but other people as well, they treat the Biden administration as if it's a normal administration that followed another normal admin- administration, which is shocking, so shockingly untrue, it's hard to describe at what a what a grotesque and unfair characterization that is. So, uh, in fact, recently, Mehdi Hassan had a, video, a 60 second video where he went through all of the accomplishments. And I actually was going to watch it this evening, but events intervened. Um, and because, you know, people think I'm with the strategy sessions, they think I'm being negative. I'm not being negative about policy at all. I'm, I'm negative about the structural uh, problems and the uh, criticism is constructive strate- criticism about strategy. So the Dems win because <laughs> they, you know, they haven't been great um, at fighting the kind of fight that needs to be fought. So, Jen, it seems, though, what's what's like nothing. The good stuff isn't breaking through. Um the bad stuff that the Republicans are doing doesn't isn't breaking through. It's literally like inflation and gas prices, which are being blamed on Biden, even though there's no president in the history has control over those two. So how do we make sense of that? Because that's that's kind of mind blowing to me. Well, I've got a lot to say about that because so, you know, it's funny when you say breaking through, uh, you know, as much as I kind of live and camp out on Twitter, you know, life isn't Twitter. And so uh, what breaks through to people is, you know, where people are, where they live is what is around them, right? And so um, money matters. Prices matter. You're going to the grocery store every day and you look at how much is in your wallet. And if you can't pay, it matters. Now, are people if the gas if it's expensive to fill up the tank that matters now are people exploiting that um, in order to score political points of course they are but this is the thing you know and I absolutely love many and anything that Joe Biden's doing I think is incredible what he's doing rallying the the uh, NATO together and the world together uh, behind uh, you know defending helping Ukraine defend itself against Russian aggression you know I there's so much that he's doing that's good but the reality is if people cannot already struggling to pay their rent to pay their debts to pay their bills it really matters um, and you know and it, this is something that Carter learned to his peril you know with and, and a lot of the reason why inflation was spiking in the 70s under Carter was um, was due to, to the oil embargo. Uh, there's some similar stuff happening now, and he stupidly, I should say stupidly, he naively let um, Paul Volcker, who everybody worships, but I have a different view, you know, break the back of inflation, which meant jacking up interest rates into the 20s. It killed the Carter presidency. Do you know what Nixon did when he was trying to tame inflation? Because Nixon, you know, the thing about the Republicans is um, 
they can be the current Republican Party now and before um, is willing to be is willing to live in the contradictions. Um, and sometimes it actually helps people. I hate to say one good thing about Donald, but he let he, he poured money into the economy. Now we have inflation, but he was the one who poured money into the economy and everyone was losing their jobs during the pandemic. Right. They didn't hesitate to do that. Now, was not I'm sure he did it because he wanted Mitch to get McConnell. <laughs> right. OK. But, you know, we have to you know, Biden at least is being honest about inflation. But unfortunately, um, oh, so what did Nixon do? Price controls. He capped prices. And I know that's something that the, the Democrats would don't want to do. But, you know, the president has a lot more authority and he has to fucking use it because, I, I, you know, and, you know, the trouble sometimes with uh, neoliberal Democrats is that we think that we want to play by a certain kind of rules that Larry Summers laid out, who has now just been, you know, Larry Summers has been saying prices aren't increasing because of concentration and monopolization. Now it turns out he's wrong. Like, listen, folks, like, you know, you know, I'm not going to expect Congress to understand economics, but you would think that they would at least and and Biden to fully understand all these moving pieces, but at least understand history. And that so that's what I have to say about um, inflation. If you don't mind, I just one thing to say about I'm not as depressed. I'm not where Robbie is saying or or Dahlia is saying, you know, what, 2022, if we lose that, it's over. You said that, Mary. Hey, guys, it's already over. So he, that's what I'm happy about. I'm not sitting around going, oh, my God, you know, you know, grandpa's already dead. Like, it's over, folks. It's over. Um, institutions change. The Democratic Party was once an institution of slavery and racism. The Supreme Court was once an institution that we could look up to and lived up to the power grab it took with Marbury versus Madison saying that it was going to be the final arbiter of what the Constitution means. That's not the Supreme Court. They let Kavanaugh on that court. Um, we, you know, the Supreme uh, Gorsuch was willing to take um, Garland's spot. That Supreme Court is a Shonda. You know, it's not even a Shonda because of well, anyway. It, it doesn't. It is what it is. It's a political body. Um, it's blatantly undermining women's rights. So that's what it is. It's, I have no respect for that institution, and I'm sorry for Elena Kagan, who says, how will we get the stench off? It's not coming off. It's like I'm really sorry for Justice Jackson. Oh, I love her, though. I, you know, so, no, I, that's one but of the maybe, reasons, you know, so she's that's, amazing, and I feel But terrible. she can still, but you know what? But life is complicated. She can be one of the good people there. But that, that's, so we have, the frog has boiled. Get out of the water. Find a place where it's not. So what I'm saying is I do think in some places we have to work in the states. Think about the states. People, states that will only elect Republicans still passed a minimum $15 minimum wage. We've got to find the power where we have. And I'm not just saying this on my own. I did speak in, in like October of 2021. I ran into this mathematical genius from uh, data scientist from Princeton University whose name I'm going to forget. And, you know, the only thing we have holding our democracy on by a thread is building in the states the gra- in grassroots way, school boards, all of it, all of it. It's not just running for office. It's showing up at the school board meetings. It's telling these people, put the books back in the school. It's saying our trans kids deserve respect, all of it. We need to be there because it. Right, we've lost some of these institutions. I'm not going to try to put, you know, I'm not going to try to put lipstick on Kavanaugh. He's a pig. It's over that but i'm going to find places that we can still save and build from there well i i agree um 
I mean, I, I, when I say if we lose in 22, it's over, I mean, de, de, well, I, it's shorthand. America is not a democracy. It's never been a democracy, but it has the potential of being a democracy. If we lose in 2022, I think it's a, that potential is, is gone. Um, but you're right in terms of the, uh, just being realistic about where we are um, is important because I think the Supreme Court is one of those instant, uh, institutions, kind of like uh, religious organizations that are uh, automatically um, given respect. Uh, we need to change that. In fact, one one thing Donald did do is show us just how weak our institutions are. Um, and clearly, we need to take that with us going forward. And not. To, I don't even think we need to rebuild them. I think we need to reimagine everything from the ground up. So, you know, Dahlia, uh, Robbie was talking earlier about, you know, what the Republicans are going to do if... They get into power. My question is, um, even though the the margins are slim, and I, I don't think there's an answer to this necessarily, but it, it has to do with failures of accountability, which is something I'm obsessed with, you know, um, because we see it with Ken Paxton, whom I referred to earlier. We see it with um, Matt Getz, Gates, whatever his name is. We see it with um, all sorts of Republican elected Republicans who've committed malfeasance and never been never been held to account for it. We see it with the January sixth, and who knows what's happening with that. But um, you know, and the 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 problem, of course, is that they're not held accountable. They become emboldened. They commit even more egregious uh, bad acts or potentially crimes. We saw that with Donald after both impeachments. Um, so. I, I'm very, I'm just not sure why the Democrats aren't holding their own hearings, not just about January 6th, although that's incredibly important, but about the fact that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were essentially willfully killed because of the malignant inaction of the administration. And we can go on and on. And yet, I don't know, um, like we can't leave it all up to one committee that's going to hold six earrings. So I, I think two things that are threaded through everything we've heard tonight. One is the system is working exactly as it was designed. It was designed yeah. to privilege land-owning white males for a long time slave-holding land-owning white males. And it's working, right? And that's so, so that asymmetry is baked in. And part of that asymmetry is why the Republican Party is looking around saying, we never need to get another vote. We could keep winning. Millions more people might vote for the other side and we will keep winning. So like we start with that asymmetry, right? And stipulate to that. And then I think stipulate to this other thing that is under what Jen just said, which is really important, which is if you are the Democratic Party, you are inherently trying to do two things at once. You are trying to prop up institutions and you are also trying to fight 
what the other side is doing and how different that is. Think about Bill Barr's Justice Department, right? Bill Barr's Justice Department wasn't trying to prop up the integrity or the dignity or the regard for the Justice Department. He was just trying to go after Donald Trump's enemies and bolster Donald Trump's friends. So that's a two front war, right? Merrick Garland, for all that everybody wants to crack on him and for all that anyone wants to crack on Stephen Breyer are doing two things at once. They are trying to really shore up institutions that are crumbling in front of their eyes because, and I say this all the time, without those institutions, we're in big honking trouble, right? We don't function. If we don't have a functioning Justice Department, if we don't have a functioning federal, you know, Article Three court, if we don't have a functioning, you know, uh, 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 system of rule of law, then we have nothing. We have, as I often say, plan B is the army. That's yeah. not good, right? Now we're just in Hungary. And so I think that well, the we Republicans have... are literally. Right. And so I, well, they are literally in Hungary. But I, I just want to make this point that it's so easy and fashionable to say, like, Biden sucks and Garland sucks and, you know, uh, Breyer sucks. And everybody who's trying to do these two things at once sucks. But it is much, much easier to do what. <laughs> You know, yeah. Elise Stefanik is doing, which is burn it all down, don't care about the institution, then it is to do two things. So start with those two asymmetries I've just described, which is a system that privileges one side over the other, mm-hmm. and then a system that makes it almost impossible if you want to inculcate value for institutions to also then like meet like with like. And I think those two asymmetries are the thing you're describing, right? That is the problem, definitionally. And then the question is, how do you get people who, and, you know, everybody has said this, are dealing with gas prices, who are, you know, can't find baby formula, who have, like, staggered through COVID, who are trying to take care of their kids, who don't know if their mom is sick. All of that stuff is happening. How do you get them to believe in institutions? Especially when you have the other side saying, like, at the most meta-meta level, right, the U.S. Supreme Court is like, screw the CDC, (laughs) screw the Clean Water Act, screw everything. And so I think we just need to do this very, very hard thing. And, like, if I'm an ad agency and I'm trying to sell, believe in institutions because they don't suck and it's better than burning everything down and arsonists are shitty. Like, that's not a great tagline, but it is unfortunately all we have. And so I think the thing I would just sort of like my my answer to your very complicated question is we will be better if we have a Supreme Court that people believe in. If we have a Supreme Court that decides the 2024 election and we're all just like, yeah, fuck them, then we're in big trouble. Right. And so I think that the work we have to do right now is this two pronged work and it's tedious and it's wonky and it's also existential. And it is the work of both saying the Justice Department has to function, the courts have to function, (laughs) the state legislatures have to function. All those state AGs and SGs who are running for office who are denying the election, believe Mm -hmm. it or not, those offices have to function. That's right. And we have to, in the face of that, both put forward an aspirational idea of what democracy is and fight for it. And that is really exhausting. And I don't have a better answer because it's a sucky answer, 
But the alternative really is plan B, which is the army. And that's a bad, bad, bad plan B. You know, actually, I think it's an, an excellent answer. It's a sucky situation. <laughs> but that, given the situation, that is the answer, right? And I think... Um, one of one of the reasons the the Republicans flood the zone is because instead of being able to understand what democracy is and understand what democracy means to each individual person, Republicans are making sure that people don't have a living wage. So things like inflation, like gas prices, make their lives much more difficult. So they have even less bandwidth to deal with these larger. Uh, you know, overarching issues about, you know, what democracy is in America. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, there there are two things you mentioned that I, I completely agree with. But uh, in terms of, you know, what's Merrick Garland doing? People, especially vis-a-vis January 6th, people saw what happened. We know crimes were committed. We think we know who committed them, right? So it's not that, um, I mean, I'm sure some people have given up on Merrick Garland. I haven't. But the concern is that political time and justice time run very differently. And we're running out of political time. So there's 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 that. And then there's this, uh, the sense of that Democrats, because they are thankfully unwilling to cross the line and be the nihilists that the Republicans have become, um, they're not they're not seen to be fighting, fighting for us. And and Robbie, that uh, that's a huge disadvantage. In some cases, quite honestly, I think it's true. I think that you know this bullshit about bipartisanship. You know when Biden called Mitch McConnell his friend, which made me, my head explode. When we, when we um, give them respect, when we say we're willing to work with them, I, my opinion, we're ceding ground to fascists. And that is at the expense of democracy. So part of it though, Robbie, is like managing people's expectations about what's happening. You know, there's only so much we can do. As Dolly just pointed out, given the structural limitations, um, so huh. <laughs> sorry, well, it's just like overwhelming. I just got overwhelmed. I apologize. Isn't that the issue with Biden? Like Biden, I think Biden is exactly what Dolly is saying in certain ways. He's trying to model decency. I think he's fundamentally a decent person, mm-hmm. and he's trying to model decency in the presidency, and that's what he does every day. He tries to get back to to having normal routines and meetings with foreign leaders. And uh, he's going to give a a speech tonight about the horrible tragedy in Texas. He's doing the things to model people how presidents should act as decent human beings, and that's important. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, he's trying to get bills passed. And he knows, as I said before, he's got a razor-thin margin, if that. And so he's negotiating... You know, try what can I do? Where can I get a vote to try to get something passed? Knowing that anything he passes, frankly, that's too far left, the minute he gets to the Supreme Court, they're going to overturn it. Right. So, uh, you know, God bless the president. I have to tell you, I don't, I don't, it's got to be, as you said before, the hardest job anyway, but right now, it's unimaginably hard. Yeah, especially since the people 
you normally, you know, especially with a 50-50, well, not even 52-48 on occasion. Um, although, as a quick aside, I recently read that Mansion and Cinema vote with Biden in excess of like 92, 93% of the time. It's only on the things that really, really matter. Um, no, that's not fair. It's on the really big things uh, that they're not willing to. Um, so it's, exactly the filibuster uh, well, the filibuster proof isn't really a vote I mean it doesn't have any any impact so I'm sorry so again if you vote for something that you know there's not a vote to override the filibuster it's it's kind of a Abs- absolutely but um, my point is that well it's not really a point it was an aside that if they were purely Republicans it would have been so much worse so it's still terrible but I think it's important to remember that a hundred percent of the blame is on the Republican Party because a hundred percent of them vote against everything, including child tax credits, including anything that makes children's lives in this country better. Um, so the point, the re- only reason I'm mentioning that is because I agree with you, Robbie. Biden is doing this unimaginably difficult job of trying to be decent and trying to lead in a way that he believes this country needs to be led. What worries me, though, is that it's anachronistic because it requires um, an opposition that's also acting in good faith. And we don't have one of those. So that creates a problem. Like that's where we get the the Dems aren't fighting for us problem, I think. No, I agree. So and, and then, Jen, the other limitation we're facing is that, um, and I think Dahlia mentioned this before, all the Republicans need to do is be total assholes. And uh, somehow that's more convincing to voters than actually doing stuff that (laughs) makes their lives better, you know? So it makes me wonder about um, that 74 million people (laughs) who voted for Donald in uh, 2020. So, how do we, I think, I feel like we need something really transformative, um, almost alchemical, <laughs> to help transmutative, I don't even know uh, wh- what exactly uh, the process would be, but something to get to people, not, not anybody who voted for Donald twice is beyond hope in my view. Sorry to be, sorry to be cynical. Um but the people, people who either don't vote or are tired and feel like the base, the Democratic base is always taken for granted, et cetera, et cetera. There has to be something. I think I think uh, Robbie used the word aspirational. And, and I think that's what Biden's shooting for. But I think we need to be aspirational in a in a in a context that's realistic. Right. It's just us. It's not the Republicans. It's just us. So how do we. What do you think is a potential way to approach that um, without without being like them? You know, if we're like them, we lose. And what's the what's the point anyway? Right. Um, I was with you until you said without being like them. There's some like them things that I want to talk about, which is this. For those who want to um, change policy maintain control of the levers of power, which means the majority, and that means you have the committees and so on. 
and, and being able to nominate people to the courts. Um, in order to do that, you know, we have to think more about what moves real people. People, and I consider myself a real person in this, except in this one way, right before the 2016 election, someone, I don't know who wrote about this, they said, you know, America isn't right and left. I and mean, it ends up being expressed that way. But we're the, you know, people who read and watch art films and drink wine. And then the people who like reality TV show and sports and stuff like that, right? Like there's a different, and this cuts across class. It cuts across. So I guess that's what I'm saying is I think Democrats are forgetting that we, you're trying to make it sound like all of us, including those in power, not you're making it. I do this too. We're like, well, we're all, because we're all hoping to maintain institutions and we do want, you know, most of us are pro-choice. We want the same things, but individual people, you, me, anyone else, have our own personal ambition. Can I just clarify something really quickly? When I say be like them, I meant we can't be like the Republican Party. We can't cheat, lie, and steal. No, 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 I know. I know know you mean that. But what we need, let me just try to make it shorter. Hmm? (laughs) You know, when you cast someone in a movie, when you put someone in the front, there's the front of the house and then there's the back of the house, right? In other words, we need to be more methodical about the candidates who run, who can win, who are thoughtful. I mean, Biden is the is the is a great candidate because I think he was, you know, I had a different person who was my choice, but he's someone who appealed to people. He's a good man. He's relatable. In fact, this, those interpersonal skills are what let him do the NATO stuff. All the, you know, people who want to, you know, you know, you know, all of us who want to get in the weeds, some of us have no business running for office. And I think that, you know, sometimes it's ego where people want to take their billions of dollars and run. But the Democrats should be thinking really carefully about uh, cultivating candidates who are people who have a lot of celebrity already. And I know you're going to hate that. And I don't, you know, but well, people may hate hearing me say that, but, you know, um, that's what helped Donald win. That's what helped Reagan win. I've also over time seen that. Anyway, I could go on and on and on about this, yeah. but we cannot over intellectualize what appeals to people on a human trust level. And that's it. You know, that's the, that's what I think we have to think in a non linear sometimes and not, you know, everyone has all the good policy ideas. We all want to do very similar things policy wise. People need to see somebody who appeals to them, who they can trust, who they will watch, who they already know. That's what's going to work in this day and age when people are so scattered across their different silos of information. The only thing that breaks through silos of information, Mary, is that kind of visual uh, that people recognize and trust somebody. Sad to say. Yeah, no, I listen, I we need to be realistic. I interpreted what you said to mean Bill de Blasio don't run for Congress. And oh, my God. Um, but yeah. that aside, um, you're right. Uh, the difference is we those people need to be substantive and <laughs> smart and um, not sadists. I think that would be helpful. And that's that's the thing. Democrats need to learn how to fight in a way that isn't mean and cynical and cheap, but in a way that makes people feel like we've got their backs. Right. Um, so um, Obama had charisma. Yes. I'm just going to say that charisma, Look, charisma. That's my message. 
Charisma. Jen, I hate saying this more than you can possibly imagine. Donald has charisma. He doesn't not. I mean, if you met him, you would see it. And then five seconds afterwards, you would be like, oh, my God, but he's just horrible. It, it wouldn't appeal to you. It doesn't appeal to us. It appeals to tens of millions of people. I don't understand it, but he has it. Um, the good news for us is that I don't see anybody else in the Republican Party who has any of that. Um, so they don't have a very deep bench there. Um, but anyway. And Elon Musk is a Canadian, so you don't have to worry about his sadistic charisma. I thought he was South African. Anyway, he can't. Oh, is he South African or Canadian? Whatever. He lives in Canada. Okay. Sorry, Dahlia. He can't run for president. I don't want to malign the Canadians, Dahlia. Okay. Let let me rephrase that. He can't buy the presidency. Um, Although, you know, I think. Sorry? He can try, for sure. He can try. Yeah. He might just buy the Constitution and get rid of that. Can can I say one tiny thing at the risk of going a minute over? Oh, there's no time limit. The thing I loved about your book, Mary, this is the fangirl portion of the show, is that it purported to be about Donald Trump, but it was really about us, right? It was about us. And I think, like, we have, in some sense, disserved the good watchers and listeners here because we've talked about, like, the filibuster and the Electoral College and the Senate and the, you know, these people who are running for office and they're all idiots and Merrick Garland. (laughs) I want to, like, go back to the thing that, the amazing Sherilyn Eiffel, who was head of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, said to me when I was like at rock freaking bottom in January of this year, she said, our superpower, particularly as women, is empathy. It is compassion. It is the ability to code switch, to live in and out of power at the same time. And I just because I really love what Jen is saying about leadership, but I think almost more urgently, I want to say this. We have learned that there is this rickety, archaic, horrible system that is about them. And if you continue to say like, it sucks, it sucks, it sucks. It is its own form of disempowerment. And so what I want to just say as a tiny kind of coda to what we've all said today is that if we were to all show up and give a shit, and if we were to all say that when, with all due respect, Professor Akhil Amar writing in the Wall Street Journal that like, hey, don't worry about Dobbs because it's not going to affect LGBTQ rights. It's not going to affect birth control. It's not going to affect anything that matters to you. Then like we are being worried. And when Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana says, if we just factor out black women in maternal mortality, then it's not going to affect you. Like we can choose to succumb to that kind of like complete bullshit slicing of the salami to say this doesn't affect you. Or we can do the thing that I think women have been doing really, really well for millennia, which is to say, oh, actually, that does affect me. It does affect me. And so I just want to <laughs> pull on what Jen just said and say it is really, really easy to be frustrated. But like we also just need to see ourselves in other people and we need to show the fuck up. Right. And um, first of all, I could listen to you and Cheryl and Eiffel talk forever. Uh, Me too. She's phenomenal. Um, and yeah, I, although it's funny, um, I 
been saying for a while, it's a very difficult time to be a human being with empathy. Uh, and that is part of the problem because it's not just our uh, governmental institutions. It's like the institutions of humanity are also being eroded um, by this one side that is relentlessly cruel and um, divisive and, you know, all the stuff that Donald is. Uh, so... Uh, we have, I have one last question to ask you guys, but uh, Robbie, I wanted if you had any last words about what we were just talking about, I wanted to give you a chance. You know, look, I think it's a combination. I, I honestly agree almost with every, everything that's been said. I mean, I think we do have to go back to trying to find common decency and common humanity, and that's probably most effective at the local level. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in my case against the Don't Say Gay Law in Florida, uh, our lead plaintiff, Xander Moritz, was told by his school principal, he had a wonderful time in high school, going on to Harvard Valedictorian, um, and was told by his principal, who he had a great relationship with, that he couldn't mention the fact that he was gay or that he lobbied against the Don't Say Gay Bill in his commencement speech. Um, and in this creative, brilliant way, he wrote a speech about his curly hair and said that he had this characteristic of curly hair that's very hard to live with in Florida. Um, He wanted to fight for other kids to have curly hair so they don't have to try to straighten it. Um, And what was heartening to me, and maybe it's just a little, but I think we have to live from these little moments to little moments now, is that he 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 was very, very worried that he would be booed or that other kids would be upset with him because he was ruining their graduation. And it was a very, very fraught moment. And he gave this speech and he had got a standing ovation from his class. Um, and he got hugged literally by everyone in the community. And, and, and that's in Sarasota, Florida. So, which is not exactly a democratic bastion. So if, if we can create that kind of common humanity first at the local level, and then hopefully back at some point in the national level, I think that's the answer to a lot of this. It, it, it is empathy, as Dahlia said. It's, you know, seeing another human being, seeing yourself in another human being. And it's weird. It's a, you know, because, well, it's also proximity, um, which is why marriage equality happened much more quickly than I ever thought it would. So if we can figure out how to connect those things, um, and I do agree at the local level, um, because, you know, we need to meet people where they are. And I, I mean that also ideologically to a point. I mean, there's places I'm certainly not willing to go. But, um, you know, there's pl- there are plenty of people uh, for whom we still need to hold out hope. Um, now, the last thing I always ask uh, my guests on Tuesday night is to come up with a message, a compelling message that we can put on a bumper sticker because the Democrats are notoriously bad at, you know, they bring a 30 page white paper to a gunfight and we need something that's going to fit on a magnet or whatever that people can chant and that will motivate people. I know it's a tough, it's a tough ask, but, um, you know, it doesn't need to be, uh, it just needs to be straightforward and to the point. So, uh, anybody want to start? I don't want to blindside anybody. Okay, Jen. <clears throat> so I was going to say my bumper sticker was fuck the NRA, but then I decided that's a negative thing yeah. and I want to say something positive. So I want to think of the Democratic Party as the 
being pro real life, the real life party. We support real life, real lives, you know, it's sort of not, uh, you know, yeah. this, the, the fake news, et cetera, bullshit. Um, yeah. But and uh, solidarity, I think, would be ultimately my bumper sticker, though. Solidarity. Just solidarity. OK. I, that's going to fit on a bumper sticker. With a D, like in the Democratic something mm-hmm. or other. Yes, and a big a big blue D in the middle. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm doing the graphic design. As Thank you, Mary. I appreciate You're welcome. It. No, I'm seriously making bumper stickers. I'm selling them, and I'm raising money for candidates with these bumpers. So. Uh, okay, solidarity. Okay, Dahlia. Um, so first of all, I just want to say thank you. This I I was like freaking vibrating. When we came online an hour ago, I, I was not sure I was going to like hold it together. And I'm just very grateful to have been in this space uh, with you for this hour. That's not a bumper sticker. Um, so my colleague, Susan Matthews at Slate, is about to launch our next season of Slow Burn. And it's before Roe v. Wade. It's going to be amazing. One of the things she has learned in her interviews with all of these people who were organizing before Roe was that all of these women went to full-time jobs, then they raised their children, then they leafleted, then they like went and, and uh, uh, lobbied the <laughs> congressmen. Like, they worked 22 hours a day, every day, every day. And I think, I guess it goes to my kind of Carol Anderson, like vote the way black people have been voting in America forever. Mm-hmm. I think we have to organize uh, the way vulnerable communities have been organizing in America forever. And what, I don't know if that's the bumper sticker, but I think this can't be like seven minutes a day. It's just not going right. to like buying a mug <laughs> isn't going to get us there and like liking on Facebook isn't going to get us there. So I just think here it is. This is where the rubber hits the road. We are going to have to put 110% of our energy for 23 hours a day into fighting for these, you know, levers of the democracy that Jen talked about that I think is doable. It is eminently doable. Cause like I said, it's about us. But this is just going to require organizing the way women in 1972 organized around Brown. Yeah. And you know how people say, for example, with Ukraine, people would say we're all Ukraine now uh, as as a way to show solidarity. I think literally we could say we're all vulnerable communities now. Yeah. So, uh, okay, Robbie. So I agree. Uh with, as always, I agree with Dolly, but I agree with her gratitude. <laughs> um, Me I too. It's really not in a, a good place uh, today, and this helped. And, and it's kind of is the point of what we're saying when we get together and we talk. It's helpful. Um, I, I think the slogan I would have, and I'm, this is so not my what I do for a living, but it's kind of the opposite of your uncle's make America great. And you know, I've been thinking, all oh, this is kind of my theme of the day, return to decency. Mm. We just need to return to decency in our country, and Love it. Not that that's easy, but if we could, we'd be a lot better off. We would, we would, and I think that gets lost in in the the fight. You know, in the in the day to day, being overwhelmed, uh, just struggling to stay above water. Um, decency, 
return to decency 2022. Um, mine is, is, uh, simple. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about this a lot. It's simply kindness is strength. One of the, the greatest, uh, crimes Donald committed was convincing, uh, the American, a large percentage of the American people, just as uh, in my family, that cruelty was strength and kindness was weakness. It's quite the opposite. You need to be a strong, grounded, empathetic human being to be kind sometimes. Uh, so that's mine. Kindness is strength. Oh, my goodness. Um, Robbie Kaplan, Dahlia Lithwick, Gentile, I am beyond grateful Uh that you were here tonight on this very difficult uh, day. Um, I admire the three of you so much. I admire your work. I admire your strength. I admire your commitment uh, to um, what needs to happen. Um, and I admire your selflessness. Uh, so again, thank you so much for being here and hopefully uh, you'll come back. Anytime. All right. Stay safe. Thank you all for being here. Uh, thank you so much to my guests, Dahlia Lithwick, Robbie Kaplan, Jen Taub. Um, I, I cannot overstate my admiration for those three very strong women. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep it short tonight because uh, I'm, I'm feeling quite uh, despondent, honestly. Yes, they, they helped helped me tremendously but the the truth of the matter is we're still we're still dealing with this unfolding situation in texas and uh we are going to continue to deal with other situations like this as long as republicans continue not to give a shit about human life uh especially the lives of our children who should be everything to us um and i guess that's how i'll end it tonight if you care about children, if you care about your own children, if you care about their future, if you care about what we leave them, if you care about the quality of their lives, please make sure that the Republicans are never allowed near the majority ever, ever again. Uh, thank you. Uh, tune back in on Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific, sorry, Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. My um, guests will be Don Winslow. Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting show. Um, and I'm going to leave it there because, again, it's been a really tough day. So thank you all for being here. Uh, stay safe and please, please keep your children safe and be kind. Good night. <laughs>